Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. And today we are going to talk about your life at work, your work life. And actually, we're going to give you some research that's going to help you improve your work life, where you will actually like your work life better, perhaps. And if you have people who work for you, Mm -hmm. it might help you create a better work environment for them. One of the things we want to do is help people who are frustrated in their jobs to have a better experience. And so this will be kind of fun. And I want to, I'm curious, John, as I go through this list, which of these lies about work you might believe and what is the truth that actually you can put in play to improve? Well, I'm, I'm pretty excited (laughs) (laughs) because it might be a list of which one of these did I not believe? Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's true. First, it is a uh, uh, story and or joke time, and uh, it's your turn this week. You know, I didn't even consider a joke. I should have thought about that because I have a repertoire of really good jokes. <laughs> you've However, done, you've told quite a few, actually. I have, but I'm going to tell you a story. It has no point, this story. Okay. Uh, but when I was in Those high school. Those are often the, the best stories. Yeah. It'll just be kind of setting a, uh, a visual in your mind, probably. Okay. So when I was in high school, we had uh, every Friday night during football season, we had victory dances at the school, which was interesting because we won very few games, but they were all called victory dances. <laughs> None of them were lost dances? No. Well, that would be kind of a bummer. Let's go to the lost dance. Yeah. The concession dance. Yes. That would have been better. Yeah. Anyway, they were called victory dances, and it was every Friday night during football season, except for homecoming weekend, in which case you had the homecoming. Right. Whatever. So every once a week? Every Friday night. And it was the place to be. It was a blast. Well, so of course. I, that's A bunch of my buddies, we'd go to the game together. And then we would show up at the victory dance and hang out. Now, what's really cool about victory dances at South Garland High School in, uh, this would be 1976 to 1980. I graduated in 1980. Man, there's got to be, there's a long list of cool things. Oh. At a <laughs> in Texas You're maybe. mocking me, aren't you? So um, I think actually my senior year, this changed. But before that, every dance had a live band. Oh, so that's what I love every Friday night, a live band. This is actually sounds very happy. Oh, it was it was awesome. And some, you know, one of my good friends, you know, he came into the dance drunk, threw up on the floor and he got expelled. He lost his honor society status because of such a stupid maneuver. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, these bands were they were, you know, really um, a dark little detour. So I'm going to. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm going to tell you the names of a couple of these bands. So then my senior year. They went to DJs, and okay. I just quit going because sure. I, I would go to these victory dances. I didn't have, you know, my freshman, sophomore year. I wasn't really good with the chicks. So sure. I would just you go were still over. Stock boy gym at that Yes, time. yes. So I would pull a chair over uh, to the side of the band and just watch the drummers. I love watching drummers. That didn't creep them out. You, they well, I wasn't over while like that close. <laughs> <laughs> I looked mostly normal. Gotcha. Anyway, we had uh, two bands, I remember, Cadillac Jack and the Hubcaps. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great name. It is. And then we had Sparky's Magic Echo. Whoa. That's the more Jefferson Airplane school of thought. Yeah, the... and we, we named them Sparky's Magic Ripoff because they were <laughs> terrible. They were absolutely terrible. That's but Cadillac Jack and Hubcaps, they were, they were pretty darn good. Cadillac Jack in the hubcaps. Yes. That is killer. It is, isn't it? I have a band name that I won't say on air. I'll tell it to my to people at Facebook. You mean to face, like that you that you're one day gonna have a band that I'm, has this name? I am ninety percent likely to never use it. But it is it is my favorite potential band name. So yeah, I, if for yeah. the sake of, you know Yeah. The future, I yeah. can't say it here. But it's very good. <laughs> you have to take my word for it. <laughs> So, John, as we're sitting here recording, I just got a text that I have to read to you. Oh, man. So uh, you and I do this thing for Evergreen called T-7. It's a YouTube video, Facebook. They put it on Facebook. It's mm-hmm. on our YouTube channel. And uh, the one that released this week was Valentine's Week. And so um, actually released last week. But um, we talked about that in the scriptures, you know, we didn't we talk about loving from your heart. 
But in the scriptures, you would love from your bowels. You'd love from your guts. Right. I'm not stoked to hear this text message. (laughs) (laughs) So this gal just texted me and she said, I'm confused. Is my husband my soulmate or my bowel mate? Just wondering. (laughs) Just wondering. (laughs) Talking to her spiritual leader. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, he would be your, your, your soulmate who loves you from his bowels. Yeah. Why not both? I, I like that. You, anyway, you your soul, but from uh, the bow. Yeah, here's to Cadillac Jack and the Hubcaps. Yeah, I just wrote that name down on my hand, so I don't forget about it. Just oh, really? It. Yeah, it's oh the name you want to have. No, the Cadillac Jack and the Hubcaps. Oh, that is so good. It is good. It is good. And they weren't bad. You know, they were doing. They were a cover band doing. You know, all the latest '80s rock music, yeah. late '70s rock music. I have, I have a theory. That's the end of your story, basically, right? It is. Yes. Yeah. I didn't. I would love to hear more. I'm just saying. No, that's all. Yeah. Um, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> I have this theory that because of the abundance of distractions, we can stream TV shows for, mm-hmm. for hundreds of hours. You can play games for hundreds of hours. You can do whatever you want. The internet, you know, that kids, especially and teenagers and maybe especially, but maybe not especially, I don't know. Adults are like this too, but there's less because you're never bored. You don't need to really explore things and get good at things and That's create true. things. So, yeah. The fact that there was a band that was even good enough to play every week at a dance. There were lots of local bands, yeah. Well, this is, you know, the Dallas Metroplex area. You could probably get bands that were bouncing around from school to schools. All the schools, victory dances were live music. And then you would go even to your proms and stuff and have live bands. Yeah. That's crazy to me. Yeah. I actually uh, never went to one. I didn't go to one high school dance or one high school sports game until after I graduated. I went to a football game. You didn't go to a single high school football game? Not a single one. I went to... Poor K, my son. I, I don't know. I, could, I don't know what to tell you. I, wow. I'm not, I don't want to really... You weren't out on dates. Well, what were, that's what I'm saying. I don't want to throw the pity parade, but I didn't really have friends <laughs> in high school. You had a couple. I had some church friends. Yeah. I never went to my... To you my had this school. one kid you called your best friend. That was facetious. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was his best friend. Uh, anyway. But I went to a lot of dances in middle school, which is weird. Uh, because I was me and all my middle school friends were really tight. So yeah. so whenever we had a middle school dance, it was it was really fun. But it's like, did I peak in middle school? And I remember the first dance you actually did in middle school. It was quite epic. I don't know if I remember that. You but did let's, running. Let's man. table that. It for was a, really. Let's awesome. table that for a story time. You were shorter <laughs> and a little bit overweight because you actually outgrew your chubby, you know, baby fat. But this was before that. So you're a little bit chubby and round with these little glasses, mm-hmm. and you start doing running man. So it was like it was like it was like this really cute. Uh, nerdy kid oh my goodness breaking like, out uh, of his shell and doing running man and at first you were willing to do it anytime anywhere and then i think i might have laughed and so you quit doing it uh, i shut sense. you down yeah and i'm really sorry about and that that's when i eventually get up the guts to talk to a therapist <laughs> that's the moment that'll, uh, that'll you didn't even remember it yeah i did i am sorry i <laughs> no, <don't be> sorry. <laughs> I think that was actually not um middle school that was elementary school Oh, you might be right. Yeah, no, no, because we were over at uh, we were over at. Um, I thought that was the American Academy, yeah, or the the Eagle Ridge. The no, church. this was at American Academy. I think you were a oh. sixth grader, maybe seventh grade. Well, I was there from fourth to eighth, technically. So oh, so maybe it could have been elementary school. Now that you mentioned that, I did, I've forgotten that. That wouldn't be Eagle Ridge then. You're right. Yeah. Anyway, so there we go, rambling about nothing, yeah. losing all of our listeners because they're they're like, could you guys get to the point? <laughs> so let's talk about this. We're going to talk about. Your work life. And I, uh, there's a guy I really like. And for some reason, oh, Jamie uh, Buckingham, what's his first name? Anyway, he does a lot of stuff for originally the Gallup organization. And uh, he's, I really, really like this guy. Hmm. And so I was actually listening to him and he talked about these. And I think he's got a book out um, about this. So about this uh, list, about this, about this list and the reality of um, how companies get things wrong and how employees get things wrong. Okay. Lie number one. And I thought of you when I, when I heard this one, for some reason, Hmm. people, the lie is people care which company they work for. Now, as a guy who, Hmm. who's in charge of a, a, a quote unquote business, right? I want our employees to care which church they work for. But I'm realizing as I listen to this and think this through, they really don't. And the truth is people care what team they're on. And so people are not loyal to a company anymore. They're not loyal to Mm -hmm. a brand, typically. They are loyal to their workmates. 
And if they like their team, they like their job. And if they don't like their team, then their job becomes burdensome and hard to do. Sure. What do you think of that? I think um, I have some ideas contrary to that. Okay. Uh, so at my, uh, I was a barista for a bit. Yep. And um, my team was extraordinary. Yeah. I, I was very good friends with everyone that I worked with. And so maybe it's that because of that, I was able to find other things that I wasn't happy with, you know, because the, mm. um, it's like if you have one glaring issue in a relationship, it becomes the whole focus. It's like a crack in a pillar where the whole pillar is pretty solid. But right. You're obsessive with this thing where it was, uh, I wasn't proud of the brand. I wasn't proud of the, I was proud of the product, but I wasn't proud of the brand. Yes. And, and you weren't proud of the people you, who owned the brand. Right. Right, but and I love. But you coworkers. stayed in your job, and and until you got a job that was really worth leaving for, you weren't going anywhere because yeah. you liked the team you were on. Yeah, and it made it so I was, you know, I wasn't, I never dreaded going to work unless it was, uh, I, I don't know, the rare occasion, but yeah. not in a general sense. So, so on the employment leader side, I realized I don't need, I, I don't need to keep persuading our teams to fall in love with the brand of Evergreen. I need them to fall in love with working with each other. Yeah. And this is one of the things, you know, uh, uh, a saying we've had for a while, a great work environment is not um, on-site daycare, latte machines, you know, an, an amazing work environment is stunning coworkers. Yeah. They really make you want to work there more. But I think it would, it would do you good to, to make sure that they do have pride that they are on that team. Yes. All right. So uh, lie number two, and this is really for uh, more for company owners or business owners or whatever, but uh, or um, executive-level leaders maybe, high-level leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, the lie is that the best plan wins. People spend lots of time making their plans, their business strategies, and their thinking. Mm-hmm. And uh, the truth is that the best intelligence wins. Now, the reason I think this is still interesting for us mm-hmm. to talk about is the idea of strategic planning. When I was in my master's program, you know, they talk about how important it is to do strategic planning. Right. And we would think about this even for our personal lives, you know, to think about how to make plans for your life. And uh, here's what uh, we learned from the military. Um, I I can't remember uh, which, I think it was Dwight Eisenhower said that strategic planning, uh, strategic plans are worthless, but strategic planning is invaluable. Hmm. And the idea is you're going to, because he said the first shot, when the first shot is fired and the first explosion, the first chaotic thing that happens, all your plans go right down the toilet. Sure. You're going to encounter things you did not predict or that you did not predict accurately. But the thought, the process you went through to plan and think and, and analyze and assess, all of that is going to help you make great decisions in real time when your strategic plan goes to pot. So the strategic preparation yes. is important, but yes. the planning is not. The plan itself is probably not going to even be the way you actually go. Hmm. But that creates intelligence so that in real time you're making really good decisions. Sure. I really like that one. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay. Lie number three is that the best companies cascade their goals. In other words, your boss is going to tell you what your goals are. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that that the bosses ought to make the goals for every department and then tell you to go hit those goals. Sure. But the the truth is that the best companies cascade meaning not goals. So what I want to communicate to the people who work for me is not the goals they should set, but the meaning of the work they do and the value of the work they do, and then let them set their goals. Because if they fall in love with the the reason, the why, and the work itself, they're quite capable of setting really good goals for themselves. Sure. So I have a question because we're on, you know, I'm, I'm employee, you're employer. Yeah. Uh, some of these sound like best case scenario like if your employee if mm-hmm. you know that they're going to be um driven and self-accountable and self-reliant yeah and would you say that uh if that is not the case you would not have them on your team so, so that so i don't that, understand the question so that you can rely on this list because you can rely on your employees to be reliable and if you can't then then they're not there yeah i mean if you have incompetent employees who really don't who don't give a rip about anything, mm-hmm. then you're in trouble. Yeah. But even let's talk about your work environment. Like, or would you do better work if your bosses gave you uh, 10 goals to achieve every single day and they just hand them to you? Now just do this. They ha- every day they hand you a list. Just do this every day. And, or would you be actually uh, more productive and, and in, in, 
creative for them if they communicated the the context and the meaning of the work you do and what the goals are with the writing that you're doing and what they're trying to accomplish. And then they say, John, go do that for us. You know, set your goals and, and crush it. Which one would you rather do? Yeah, the latter for sure. Yeah. And so uh, this is where if you work in a place where they don't do that for you, um, maybe as you think about that, especially if, you know, if you get frustrated enough, you'll say, well, I'm, I'm moving on. I'm going to find a different mm-hmm. job. But if you want the job to work, then you can start creating maybe some conversations about this. Um, maybe giving, encouraging them to give, give you a, a, a window of time where you could demonstrate self-governance and you would actually produce better work. And say you are on the employee side, um, you can't really control that, right? If the, if the whole idea is, is finding meaning and happiness where you are in work. Right. Uh, how could you manipulate those factors to your advantage as an employee on the receiving end of those? Yeah. Orders? So well, that's what I was saying. I think that as an employee, if you want to keep working there, right, but you're frustrated by the micromanagement, then you could start a conversation and uh, ask them gotcha. to to test this out. Hey, gotcha. how about you let me set my own goals and create my own objectives and just see how it goes. And if it doesn't work, I'll go back to the system you had. Uh, The other idea, the other option is to start looking for work. And when you look for work, look for environments that promise you that. Sure. Whereas most of us don't think about that. Yeah. In the interview process, we wouldn't think about now, how are my objectives going to be given to me? How much, how much creativity do I have in my own work? Sure. That kind of thing. And we are in a great environment for that. Uh, Even the job market is nice, but also um, websites like uh, Glassdoor and and other uh, uh, employee reviewed Mm-hmm. websites of companies so, mm-hmm. so they review what it's like to work at a company yeah and you have to take a lot of that with, with some salt because of you know you never know who's writing the review but on in a macro sense you know if a company has 700 reviews from employees and it's got 4.5 stars that's pretty that's reliable pretty good. Yeah. yeah yeah uh this is that we're going to get to that kind of uh, uh uh interesting anecdote in a second about people's reviews oh uh, number four the lie is that the best people are well-rounded, that what you want is to hire a bunch of people who are super well-rounded. Mm. And the reality is the best people are what they call spiky. Uh, they, have, they have very pointed strengths, uh-huh. and they know how to use them. And so uh, this is one of my favorite conversations because um, I use the example of, you know, a kid brings home a report card, and he's got four A's, a B, and a C. And the only thing the parents say is, let's talk about the C mm-hmm. because we're so obsessed with reducing our weaknesses and we're obsessed with being well-rounded. Sure. And the truth is, Hey, if you got a C in science, but you got A's in math or, um, English and writing, I guess, you know, whatever mm-hmm. focus on those strengths, man. Hey, this is a strength for you. Let's move you up to accelerated classes here. Let's do something. Let's push this strength and develop it even more rather than, diminishing the energy that that strength creates by using that energy to be better at something you're not good at. I would, I mean, I don't, that's not how it was when I was a kid. And I don't <laughs> know how many parents are going to, in a parenting way, do that. Where, you know what? Keep getting C's in science. Well, it's not so much about getting C's. You have to have, uh, I, I say to our employees this way, I, I need you to be great at what you're great at. And at the stuff you suck at, I just need you to be incredibly adequate. <laughs> so uh, just be average. It's okay to be average. You can't be. You can't suck at anything. That, mm. The world won't let you do that. Um, in terms of those kinds of skills, sure. But uh, stop working on making a C skill a B minus skill because the energy that takes. If you use that same energy to make your A into an A plus, mm-hmm. you're going to fly with that. So I think it's a really great personal strategy to embrace, to say, Hey, I need to know what I'm really good at and stop obsessing about the things that I'm not good at. Yeah. And then use that energy to be even better at what I'm good at. I would assert you're allowed to suck at maybe one thing that is completely on the opposite side of your actual wheelhouse. So if you're like the best CPA that ever lived Mm -hmm. and you are terrible at public speaking, don't worry about it. You're going to be right. Right. Yeah, yeah, like you're allowed I, to suck at yeah. speaking. I meant more um, knowledge based. Like you can sure. be, you can be great at words and thinking and philosophy, but you need enough math skills so you don't spend more money than right. you make and, and bankrupt yourself. <laughs> right, and you can do basic, you know, yeah, algebra or yeah. calculus or whatever. 
All right. Lie number five is that people need feedback. It's hmm. a total lie. They don't need feedback. What people need is attention. <laughs> you know, a lot of people say, give me the feedback. I want, you know, and I've heard this saying, you know, feedback is the breakfast of champions. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually what people need is not feedback. They need attention. How would that, how would that translate in your working world? Is that true or not true for you? Well, it's funny. I used to think I needed feedback, but generally I dread it in a, in a, in a, a vague sense. You know? And it almost never fires you up. Right. Right. It's almost always, uh, um, it gives me pause. Mm-hmm. So, cause it's focused on strengthening your weaknesses. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and when you say attention, how do you figure just, you know, so imagine what, what kind of attention would you like from your employers? I don't know. I get a lot of attention from my employers. Yeah. But some of that attention you don't want because that's, that's being perceived by you as negative feedback. Yeah. So what kind of attention would you like from them? I don't know. i'm trying to blank uh would you like them to say hey man that article right there that was phenomenal give me more of that that was really good that kind of attention versus isn't that feedback no that's that's affirmation so one time uh back in colorado i had a one of our staff members speak for me Mm. and i was there and he asked me on monday how did i do and i said are you looking for feedback or for affirmation he said, I'm looking for affirmation. I said, way to go, man. You crushed it. <laughs> he said, thanks a lot. And he walked away. <laughs> Most people want attention. Like, don't don't stick me in a dark room. Give me work to do and never check in on me again. Right. I want to be, I want some attention. But don't, don't constantly try to improve me with constructive feedback or gotcha. telling me what my peers think of me. You know, a lot of companies do these 360 reviews. And they say they're absolutely, the, the science says those are absolutely worthless. Hmm. And which is our next thing. Uh, lie number six is that people can reliably rate other people. So you have hmm. people do these 360 reviews or even like uh, you mentioned, um, you, you get these uh, glass door reviews of what, how good it is to work for a company. Sure. And you're saying, well, that's not always reliable unless there's hundreds of them. Right. Then it becomes more reliable. But they're saying that what people relate, if you if you have, uh, if you have, let's say, Jonathan, if you're going to rate employees from six different places, you're going to rate them all the same way, which is you're going to rate them based on your experience of them. Sure. That's not reliable feedback about the objective work they're doing. Gotcha. It's a reliable feedback about how you feel about them. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so people are terrible at rating other people. The truth is what people are good at is they can reliably rate their own experience. So, so the, in the, the glass doorway that they, that, that actual, their experience rating their own. And that's what they are rating. They're valuable. Yeah. Yeah. This is how I felt about working there. And And because they've seen, they're speaking on their, on behalf of themselves and they've seen, you know, they're, they're the most reliable person to talk about that. Right. But if you don't know them very well, here's what that guy who filled out that survey. Hey, I sucked at my job and I was constantly in trouble and they finally fired me. <laughs> but here's how I felt about the company. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> who cares what that guy thought yeah. about the company, right? Yeah. I want to know what the people who love their job and who are good at their job, maybe not even love their job, but who love their work and are good at their work. What did they think of that company? There's another website when I was in college I would use called uh, Rate My Professor. Ah. And you would, you, you could, they, the database was extensive. Really? Of professors throughout the country. So when you're going to sign up for classes for registration time, you check the professors. <laughs> and there was an option on the reviews to include what grade you got in the class. Mm. And a lot of people didn't include what grade they got. Right. Uh, That's so hilarious. That, that was a way to value, evaluate did this person try? And right. They, you know, yeah. 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 I slept through every class and I think the professor sucks. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's funny. Yeah. Okay. Uh, three more. Okay. Number seven. This is interesting to me. The lie is that people have potential. Hmm. I think of that. I think it's a Geico commercial. Pinocchio is doing the motivational speaking. And you have potential. And his nose grows. <laughs> and you have potential. And his nose grows. <laughs> and he's like, he's a terrible motivational speaker. Yeah. Uh, the lie is that people have potential. The truth is people have momentum. Hmm. What do you think that means? Um. 
man, I don't know. Potential. Yeah, I have no idea. What do, what do you mean? Those both. That's it's really very, interesting, isn't it? That seems like he's trying to sell me something. It does, doesn't but, it? But, yeah. but you would you would say, do you have potential, John? Do you have potential? Well, sure. I would say everyone has potential. So I probably, <laughs> you know, eating up the the drinking the Kool Aid. Yeah, and so here's what happens: um, people who have potential might never, ever, 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 ever do a thing. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to telling the truth to yourself. Um, what matters is you have momentum or you have no momentum. So um, I can tell you that throughout my employer life, I have uh, bet on guys who had potential hmm. and it burned me every single time. Huh. And one day your mom said to me, stop betting on what you think people can do and only bet on what they have already done. (laughs) (laughs) She tells it like it is. Yes, and this is the truth about potential. Uh, Potential, you know, it's the, you know, put your potential in one hand and poop in the other and see which one fills up first. Uh, (laughs) Potential is nothing. Uh, All you have is what you actually do. And so uh, people can do more. It's not to say you can't do more than you currently do. You actually could do more. But I shouldn't bet on that unless you're already in motion doing more. Now I can bet on where that momentum is going to take you. But sure. someone sitting still, potential is absolutely worthless. So I would then say, I would probably wouldn't say that people that people having potential is the lie. I would say the lie is that potential is valuable. Because the, everyone does think have the, potential. I think that that's objectively true. And it's objectively true because so many people underperform. Yes. So that's why it is true, but maybe that it's not valuable. It doesn't mean anything. Right. So maybe the way to word the lie is that you can count on people's potential. Right. Yeah, that could be the lie. Yeah, that would be the lie. And the truth is. Instead, you can count on on their momentum. momentum. Yeah. Stephen King has a quote similar to that where he says, uh, talking about people who want to be writers and stuff, and he says, talent is worthless. Talent is worth less than table salt is what he says. Really? Yeah. He says that doesn't mean anything. He says the only (laughs) thing that's worth anything is is work ethic. Is actually is writing and getting stuff done. Well, and you and I talk about this a lot because we have some significant dreams. You Mm -hmm. know, we have books outlined. We have dreams we want to accomplish. And the truth is those dreams and our um, inherent talents are not what's going to make the day. It's Mm -hmm. going to be whether we get up and actually do the work. Right. And so uh, I have had this saying for years that the world bends for those who take action. Mm -hmm. I have probably had, I'm not, I I don't think I'm exaggerating about this. I think I've had 50 world shaping ideas, products or ways to do something or something. 50. I think I've had 50. Half a hundred. I think I've had 50 that could have, any one of them could have, uh, you know, put me quote unquote on the map or made me a whole bunch of money, but I've done nothing with them. Yeah. And so, uh, they're worthless, right? Yeah. And so uh, I think this is a great conversation to have. I'm realizing that almost all of these skew to the employer side, but I think they help employees who hear them say, how can I leverage this for my own career path? Right. You know, how can I make this? Well, this one's easy. Don't value the potential of yourself unless you're actually doing stuff. Right. But don't, don't imagine that, that brings you some kind of inherent value. Yeah. We have a thing nar- that psychologists call narcotic dysfunction. It means that by thinking about something or talking about something, we have right. an illusion that we actually made the world a better place. Right. So we can get have a conversation about homelessness and think we actually made the world a better place and we didn't do a thing. Mm-hmm. And we can do the same thing about ourselves. We can we can assess our talent, take uh, personal assessments, strength finders, all that. Yeah, they say that's why you're not supposed to tell people about your goals. Like you're not supposed to tell people you're going to start working out or that you're gonna, you know, you're gonna start your book. You're gonna start because it'll better. give you the deception that you're actually improving your life. Exactly. And instead, if you, the only way to get that actual feeling of yourself to actually do it then it's more likely to happen that's really interesting i don't know if i'd heard that but the the when i started working out again i decided not to tell anyone until i'd been working out for a month Mm. because of this very thing i didn't want i didn't want to have this thing like everybody go oh yeah he's gonna start working out you talk about your world shaping ideas too just a funny uh anecdote i know a guy who claims 
that he invented Mighty Beans. Do you remember Mighty Beans? No. What are Mighty Beans? They're little uh, plastic capsules with weights in them and faces drawn on them and like like designs. Back in you know like 2006 maybe. Okay. Uh, and you you fling them at each other and because of the weights in them they they wobble. They wobble. Yeah, because the weight sits in the bottom. They're called Mighty Beans. I've never seen those. Uh, they didn't. They weren't long for this world. <laughs> you know, they're like they they had about the same shelf life as fidget spinners. You know, oh, okay. That kind of thing. Yeah. Well, they blew up for about a maybe three. What months. what happened to fidget spinners? Why did that exactly? Why did that bottom out? They, I mean, who cares? They fell in the pit of obscurity. It's what it's what happens to all toys eventually. Yeah, somebody got rich with it though. Oh, I'm, yeah, yeah. But then the the, the so the here's just one of my them. ideas. Okay. okay I'll, I'll get <laughs> <laughs> Real quick, the Mighty Beans thing. Yeah. He had a dream about them, and he drew a bunch of sketches about them, and then like a month later, they were he was seeing commercials for Mighty Beans. No way. Yeah. Alexa was listening. Yeah, well, this was, you know, forever ago. Oh, but yeah. That's way, funny. way before Alexa. Okay. Yeah, tell me, tell me one of your golden world changing So uh, this isn't a world changing deal, but it's just one tiny sample of what I'm talking about. So we were pastoring in Denver. The church was Grace Community Church. Mm-hmm. And I had the idea to produce grace mats. And the idea is that families don't have uh, faith conversations while they're having dinner. And so we would design these placemats so mom could set the table. And each placemat would be age-appropriate, so there would be a coloring thing for little kids. And then on the middle school, there might be a word search, hmm. a crossword puzzle, and then a story. And all of them would be themed around the same Bible concept. And so the family could use their placemats to actually engage with a biblical idea or a passage of Scripture. It's, it's, uh, it's kids' menus, but with with Yeah, with I didn't think of that, but yeah. yeah. But you'd yeah. also have them for the adults, too. Yeah. And it and I, and they were going to call it Grace Mats because we were Grace Community Church. Mm-hmm. Anyway, genius idea. That's pretty good. Yeah. yeah, and and I even thought I started processing that with a couple of people, and some thought, well, um, you know, the, the people have to order them, and I thought of even laminating them, and then you could maybe have them two sided, so you could use one side once, the other side the next. Sure, time. and depending on the size of your family, you you. Uh, yeah, how do you know how one many person graduate into the next level of grace mats, and then you use those their old ones for the kid below them? Yeah, because you could dry erase them, right? Um, but the other idea was to just put them digitally, and so you could print them on your printer. Almost everybody had an oh, at home printer, and so you could just print them out. You know, I need four for my dinner tonight because my family's smaller than yours or whatever, and you print them out. Anyway, never did a thing with it, but it's a great idea. That's a good idea. All right, <laughs> almost as good as Mighty Beans. Almost. (laughs) All right. uh, Lie number eight is that work-life balance matters the most. Work-life balance matters the most. And the truth is. That was heavy. Yeah. The truth is love in work matters the most. Now, this is fascinating. Most people say you got to really have balance in your work life, and that'll Mm -hmm. make you not burn out. This is a burnout conversation. Why do people burn out, get exhausted? Totally. Uh, whatever. And the idea is they don't have enough work-life balance. You're working too much. Yes. Yeah. But what the truth is, is they don't have enough love in their work. Okay. The example given was doctors. Doctors are leaving the medical profession in droves. Really? Yes. They're saying that by 2025, we're going to be 25,000 doctors short in the U.S. Whoa. And they're, so they're studying, why are they quitting? You know, the healthcare field's crazy. It is stressful, lawsuits, medic, you know, whatever. But here's the deal. They said that there, that you need to have enough love in what you do because jobs are hard. Mm-hmm. But if you have enough of the things of your job that you love, then you will never burn out. But if you don't have enough that you love about your work, then the things you hate about it will crush you. And the tipping point is 20%. They said, if you have, if you love 19% of your work, you're headed for burnout. But if you who love 20%, (laughs) you're, you're sustainable. It's that tipping point. And, and the goal would be to love 30 or 40%. Right. Then you're really cooking with gas. Then you're wanting low 20 does seem low, but, but people are burning out. Pastors are leaving uh, church work to the tune of some say 1200 pastors a month quit ministry it's a lot of pressure it's a lot of weight but if you have enough of the job that you love then burnout's not the problem 
doesn't mean that you um, don't need a family life and all that. Those are all still important. Right. But what sustains you and makes your life flourish is actually the, the percentage of your work that you love, not the balance of time. That means you only have to be really thrilled with what you're doing at work one-fifth of the time. And the other four-fifths, you can you know, be kicking dirt clods or – yeah. That's really interesting. Well, I'll tell you, when I play golf, if you play really bad, like if, if you play so bad, but you have one hole that you played perfectly and you birdied that hole, mm-hmm. you will want to go play again. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> and that's, that's one eighteenth. So yeah. that's that's about the right percentage. Yeah. There's a really big thing um, with the four tens. I know you've seen that. The the four uh, uh, four a work week day, of four tens. Oh, four tens. So yeah. Four days, ten hour uh, yeah. ten hours a day. Um. But even uh, more maybe radical than that is people saying, you know, they want to limit the, the full-time work week to 30 hours or right. or ways to look at work different. Because a lot of people in my generation uh, or the millennials in the, you know, the Gen Z, right. uh, they're kind of thinking, well, this is, this ain't right to work, to be at work this much time and be home this much time. Right. And, um, and uh my gut reaction to that is always kind of like, well, don't be a baby about it. Like everyone, everyone's <laughs> been doing this for like a hundred years or right, more. And right. before that, if you were in agrarian cultures, you're working from sun up to oh, sundown every single day. Every day, seven days a week. Right. So uh, it is interesting that, that the, it seems to, to be um, when people, it, and it makes sense when you're not unhappy with your job, you just don't want to be there. So oh, you, you yeah. want to be home more. Yeah. Um, you're living for the weekend. You right. want to get out on the boat or do whatever, you know, do what you're really living yeah. for. And I wonder what the increase of working from home has done to this to where you're actually, you are working maybe the same hours, but you're not at a workplace and maybe that helps. Maybe that hurts the situation. I don't know. I have lots of questions about it. I have worked at home for one stretch of my life and it was, I worked too much. I couldn't stop working because gotcha. I Cause would just drift on. in there. Yeah, yeah. I would just drift in there and do more. Yeah. And for me, that was hard. You know, um, some people say, I don't, I don't live to work. I work so I can live. Right. And those people typically have jobs they're not on fire about. Mm-hmm. And, um, and maybe I can't get my brain around that because I think that I want my work to be so meaningful that it is living. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't live to work, but I live through my work. And I, maybe that's too idealistic. Well, I think that, um, I don't know. I wonder because we talk in our, in our happiness episode, we talk about meaning, right? Mm-hmm. And I th- what really I think a lot of that is, and maybe it's a different conversation between what you love and what you find meaning in. Um, but that meaning thing is huge because if you feel like you're going in, clocking in, clocking out, so you can get, um, you can just eat. Like yeah. that's the point. You can eat yeah. and you can pay rent. Kafka, the author, called his job. I think at a bank, he called it his bread job because mm. he he worked there to eat and he wrote as like his for his, his love passion, yeah. his love. Um, and, uh, so I wonder how many people feel like they truly find meaning in their work. And if not, then obviously you're not going to want to spend time there. When you're there, you're going to feel like you're wasting your time. You're going to think, why, why can't I be doing something I love right now? But people also lie to themselves. You have a sibling who has said, you pay me this much money. I'll shovel dog poop all day long because I don't care what the job is. I just want to make that much money. Yeah. And it's actually, you're just lying to yourself Yeah. because you could make a ton of money, but if it's at a job you hate, you will not. You'll crash and burn. Well, there's that would you rather where it's like, uh, or or one of those hypothetical fun yeah, questions. It's yeah. like if you worked uh, 40 hours a week and you sat in a room and pressed a red button every five minutes <laughs> and you got paid $1 million a year, Yeah, you know, would you do it? And, and most people are like, well, yeah. For a year. I don't think you could do it very long. I don't think psychologically you could do it long either. But yeah. It's yeah. like Chinese water torture. Yeah. Here's an interesting, this is the ninth lie. Okay. Um, leadership is a thing. That's the lie. <laughs> okay. And the truth is we follow spikes. So um, that this is a conversation that's going on forever. Are, are leaders born or made? Mm-hmm. And you have these extraordinary people, you know, um, Winston Churchill, um, General Patton, um, pick any president. Right. Um, you know, you have these people and you think these are great leaders and they must have just been born that way. Other people say, no, anybody can be a leader. And you just have to learn the skills and practice the good practices of leaders. And uh, this is a debate that's been going on in the academic world forever. Mm-hmm. What's your opinion on this? Are leaders born or made? Well, the the lie was leadership isn't a thing. The lie is that leadership is a thing. Is that's a, thing. a lie. Yeah. So this is I, so I, we're we're discussing it okay. as if the lie is true. Sure. So um, uh, I think 
Um, I think they're placed there basically by cer- largely by circumstance and by who they are. So I would say, I guess, um, I guess born. It's interesting. You you guys gave me um, for Christmas one year a autobiography or a not a, a biography of of uh, Ulysses S. Grant. Mm. Uh, the uh, um, yeah. general during the Civil War and then president after yeah. that. Uh, and up until really recently, he was one of the people would say the worst presidents America ever had. Mm. And just a terrible, not even a good military leader was the consensus. Interesting. He he beat, uh, everyone was like, well, Robert E. Lee was a great general. Grant won because he was he had better resources, basically. Right, right. And then when he was president, he just floundered and floundered. That was the, the uh, conception or um, preception. And recently, in um, newer and newer history books, the more people look at it, the more they realize he was actually just not a very prototypical leader. And he actually did pretty well hmm. in a lot of ways. That's and interesting. I the thing it's like a thousand pages. So in all honesty, I've not finished the biography. Right. But from what I can tell, uh, he probably just didn't like be- being around people very much. He was very reclusive. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, loved being with his family and riding horses and being on his land. That was and like yet something happened that made him get elected. Exactly. So I wonder yeah. that in that situation, he's not a Patton, right? He yeah. is. He is a, you know someone else a different kind of yeah. human than that so the lie is that pe- that leadership is a thing and the truth is that people follow spikes so now we're back to that first thing of that well-rounded is a lie we should be you know we should play Spiky. these strengths be yeah. this spike and so when what people call a leader is actually a person who is leveraging their spikes and people are following that spike hmm. so uh, they are exceptional at one or two things and they are doing those things really, really well. And that turns out to make people want to follow you. Yeah. This one, I, this is the, of all of them, uh, I'm less sure on. Let's do a quick commercial break. Okay. And we'll, we'll come back and finish the conversation on Sounds the last bike and, and we'll wrap it up. All right. Upstream is supported by the faithful members of the Upstream team, listeners who give monthly through Patreon. This podcast is just one part of the Jim and John ministry. They also write weekly blogs, have published their first book, and are currently at work on more. Their desire is to produce transformational content, as well as offer encouragement and coaching to others. The dream is to see a movement of people who are integrating the work of Jesus into their daily lives, and who are joining Him on His mission to redeem and restore all things. Check out their website at jimandjohn.com, where you can learn more about the father-son duo and gain access to all they have to offer. If you would like to join the Upstream team, consider partnering with Jim and John on patreon.com slash jimandjohn. A link is also available on the homepage of their website. And remember, there's no H in John. Now let's join Jim and John for the home stretch of today's conversation. All right, welcome back. Uh, thanks for... Listen to our commercial. I know it's only a minute, but uh, well, thanks for listening in general. We, yeah, we really appreciate. Really it. grateful. Yeah, it's a, a good time for us, and hopefully, hopefully, we're uh, doing Add good by value. you guys. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so this one's actually I don't. Th- uh, this one is not the easiest sell for me mm-hmm. because it, the spikes are um, uh, strengths, right, in different fields. Yes. And I'll just go to the CPA again. Uh, the best CPA in the mm. world might not be a great leader because they might just be really, really good at helping people with their finances. So it's and not that every strength. Exactly. Yeah. I see what you're saying. So, yeah. The, there the, are some spikes that are going to make people want to follow you. Right. And there are some spikes that people just give you a little golf clap and say, way to go. Yeah. And they might have the <laughs> most respect for you in the world. Yeah. But if you can't um, inspire or if you can't um, communicate very well yeah. or if you can't, you know, delegate people skills. um then, then I don't know because those are important for leadership. They like are. you said, there's a whole there's an industry of many, many, many U.S. dollar industry on leadership books. I don't know the numbers, but man, but oh, it's crazy, it's insane. Yeah, so it seems sim- too maybe too simple to me to say leadership is a lie. What, but you, I mean, I, I want to know what you think about this because you are a leader. Well, I think I think um, I think that people. One of the, one of the ideas a friend of mine has is called uh, gravitational leadership, mm-hmm. and that is that uh, a couple of premises here. You can't lead people unless they love you. That in this culture, if I don't love you, I'm not following you. 
And so uh, this love thing, people are drawn to you. So here's the idea of gravitational things. So like the, the moon orbits the earth, it's drawn to the earth and yet it doesn't get lost in the earth or collide with the earth. It circles. Right. So the, the idea of gravitational leadership is I'm going to attract you toward me with my spikes. You know, you're going to like something about me. Right. But then my job is to give you propulsion to actually push you into your strengths. Right. So, that, and, and then you'll gra- you'll orbit me, but you won't get lost in me. So I guess what I'm saying then is I think leadership is its own spike, Right. That's, but I would say what you're calling leadership is probably emotional intelligence. Mm. So, um, because you, and I think emotional intelligence probably turns out to be the most important leadership skill for a leader because people need to love you to follow you. Yeah. And so if you're really good at emotional intelligence, you're self-aware, you understand how people feel, you pick up on cues, you communicate to them in a way that makes them uh, feel valuable or loved. These are powerful skills. Yeah, I think about um, my go-to for that is uh, uh, Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. I could watch that guy talk about almost anything for a long period of See, time. See, isn't that interesting? And why? Because he's so likable. He is likable, but he's not a great speaker. I think he is. Yeah. I think he's an extraordinary speaker. But And I don't actually agree with many of his politics at all. Right, right. I, but he's but so, you can listen to him. He's so likable. He, he is likable. A, over a one-hour interview with David Letterman on his new or new oh, really? Netflix thing from 2015. Uh, 16 or 17 it's it was incredible an hour yeah and i wanted more that's awesome i know he's just, it, it, and that i think there's a huge thing to just being yeah good. now what a what a self-absorbed selfish leader would do is let you go ahead and, and lose yourself in me right hmm. so now it's all about me right and you exist to serve me and i'm i've drawn you to me so that you can serve me and that's actually not productive that's or dysfunctional healthy, yeah. and it's horrible and it's certainly anti-god right it's yeah. godless yeah so the idea is I need to uh, uh, love you, serve you, attract you to me, but then feed your strengths so that you have propulsion on your own. Hmm. So I love the concept. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, so give me your takeaway from this conversation. Uh, do you have one or two that just you say, this is my thing? Uh, yeah, I, I have a – this one's probably more of a big picture takeaway. But like you said, the list was largely um, employer – focused or, yeah. or employer from, from the perspective of an employer because the employer could control these right exactly yeah. and i think that's its own value uh, as an employee to see these are the considerations that are going on on the other side of this kind of relationship mm-hmm. um but also to uh we've talked a little bit about jo- of, of of the potential to leave your job and look for different places yeah but if you were to stay where you are the amount of factors you have to actually work with, the amount of tools you have in your tool belt mm-hmm. with a list like this um, to where your options aren't just to find a better work-life balance or just to find a job that doesn't, um, you know, cause you to dread. And obviously, if it's a, it's not to say every job can be saved. You might need to go get a different job to, right. to better your situation. But the amount of uh, freedom uh, you have to actually work through things, especially if it means enough to you. And there's a, a reality... Uh, that you told me for a long time, and I think it holds water. Um, the I forget the wording, but basically, if you're not willing to confront somebody with something or tell them the truth about something, mm. it's because you don't really love them. You don't right. care enough. Right. Is the thing you you care more about your own comfort, and, yes. and the peace than you do. And so, in the same way, uh, maybe you maybe you legitimately don't care enough about your job to fix the thing, and that's probably okay. Where you could find another job that's better suited to you, and you could use these tools to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but be honest with yourself that uh, that if you say you care about the job and you're not willing to try and make it work, you know, and, and make yourself, um, I don't know, more happy with these with these right. with, with with these tools. Yeah, does that make sense? It, it does. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I was talking to a guy yesterday who wrote a book on Lewis and Clark and the whole leadership concepts. It's called Canoeing the Mountains, and it's the idea that you know they were supposed to find a waterway from um, the Mississippi River to the Pacific Ocean. Right. <laughs> and, you know, they get to the Rocky Mountains, uh-huh. and when they get to the top, they're like, oh, crap, and now there's no waterway, right? Yeah. Well, what's fascinating is about uh, Clark and and Lewis is that they, they treated themselves as equals. One of them was actually the, the captain, and the other one was the colonel, but hmm. they, they decided they would co-lead. Um. Uh, I think it was Lewis ended up taking his own life at the end. He he battled really lifetime depression. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. Clark was a slave owner 
who during the expedition, uh, actually when they, they, when they got to the Pacific ocean, they built a fort, uh, in, at the, at the, uh, Columbia river mm-hmm. and they had an election about the flag. They let the, they let, they let everybody vote, including the slave and Sacagawea. Whoa. And so they had these amazing personal strengths and, uh, character beauty and connection and community as a team. They were the, the team of discovery. Mm-hmm. But after they had finished this whole great monumental life mission, when they went back home, Clark ended up um, beating that slave that he had on the trip almost to death because he wanted to leave and go and be traded to a different owner where his wife was. Oh, my goodness. Who he had been away from for three years. He didn't want him to do that, and he beat him. Uh, Lewis ends up in such a depression that he mainly fed with alcohol. He fought with alcohol, and then he ends up taking his own life. And the 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 thing that this is kind of a powerful reality is that when we are engaged in meaningful work together, mm-hmm. our relationships are more powerful. And when we have nothing of meaning going on, uh, relationships are more difficult. And so I would say that um, it is, I would encourage people, my takeaway is pursue work that is meaningful to you and do it with people whom you enjoy being on the team with them because these turn out to be critical factors for a lot more of emotional, mental, and relational health in your life. And the absence of meaning is a, is a real problem. Man, that, I'm, I'm shook up. I didn't know any of that. <laughs> that's really tough. Yeah, it is. Well, hey, that's a kind of a negative way to end, but I, the, 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 the truths are, that just shows how powerful that reality is of the yeah, situation. Yeah, and yeah. the encouragement is, man, pursue meaning. And, and obviously, we have meaning outside of our work. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you can add meaning to your work or find meaning relationally in your work, no matter what the work itself is, if you can find meaning and connection there, it actually adds value to all of your life. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Hey, thanks for listening. Um, subscribe. Tell a friend. Give us feedback. Email us at info at jimandjohn.com. No yes, H in the John. We'd love to hear um, suggestions for episodes. Um, we value feedback. Yeah. And attention. <laughs> and attention. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so uh, thanks for listening. Have a great day.